Thank you for tuning in. We'll get to your program right after this short word from our sponsor. In your company, a challenge? Are you battling turnover and struggling to draw key talent? Is your team not performing at the level you want? Problems present themselves through conflict, miscommunication, creative differences, unclear expectations, and motivational issues. ARC Integrated is here to address these challenges through executive coaching and customized interactive trainings. Create lasting positive change that will improve your bottom line and create a culture that attracts talent and reduces turnover by going to arcintegrated.com. That's arcintegrated.com. What if investing in each other could change the world? I'm Joel Skeen with bizradio.us, and this is the Mindful Marketplace. Welcome back, everybody, to the Mindful Marketplace here on Biz Radio US. I am very excited for our, our conversation here today with a values-based financial advisor based out of the Northeast. His name is Max Mintz. He's a fascinating guy, and he's recently written an article for eMoney emoneyadvisor.com that we're going to get to dig into here. So really excited to get to talk to Max. If this is your first time here with us on the Mindful Marketplace, just so you know, on this program, we talk to entrepreneurs, advisors, industry leaders, investors, economic experts who are not only you know solving a market problem to make a profit, but they're also solving a social problem to make an impact. And it's where we learn how to connect our money and our business to our values, our community, and ourselves. But before we get into our conversation here, I'm going to hit on the balance sheet, the assets, liabilities, debts, and investments. So assets. First, I as an asset, I want to I want to highlight a local group here in the Western North Carolina region where I live and where Biz Radio is based out of. They are called the AY Pros, the Asheville Young Professionals. They're a new group that's been formed by guests and friends of the show, Sean Como and Erica Gifford of the Hatch of Hatchworks at the Hatch Foundation. And AY Pros was founded this year as a uh, with its mission to attract, retain, and empower young professionals while enhancing the city's appeal. They focus on diversity and inclusion and innovation to create a welcoming community that caters to young professionals' unique needs. AY Pros aims to make Asheville a place where everyone can thrive by organizing networking events, volunteer opportunities, and advocacy work to connect, inspire, and empower its members. So go check out AY Pros and join up if you are in the Western North Carolina area. So liabilities. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I touched on this, but at the time of this recording, starting tomorrow, um, Google the Google monopolization um, antitrust suit kicks off. One of the biggest liabilities to a mindful marketplace is monopolies that strangle competition and don't allow for small and local businesses to grow. So the trial kicks off tomorrow and it's a big deal. And it's not just for tech enthusiasts, but for everyone. You know, imagine this trial as kind of the Super Bowl of antitrust cases. It really could reshape how we think about artificial intelligence, search engines, news, antitrust laws, and innovation. Plus, it's going to set a precedent for how monopolization cases are going to be handled in the future in various industries. And here's where it gets interesting. Google seems to be pulling out all the stops to control the narrative. They've assembled a war room of PR professionals to spin the trial's outcome. Reporters are suddenly getting a lot of attention from them. It's kind of like back when Microsoft was in the hot seat in the 90s. But Google is trying to paint itself as not being the big bad wolf Microsoft was back then. They're also suggesting that nobody really cares about this case. And, you know, a lot of us beg to differ. (laughs) You see, this trial is not just a legal showdown. It's really a battle for public perception and lawmakers' attention. This trial will give an inside look at how the internet was shaped, the world of advertising, power plays in corporate boardrooms, those eyebrow-raising deals between Google and Apple to carve up the globe between them, and how billionaires duke it out when mountains of money are at stake. So 
regardless of the final verdict, the facts that come out during this trial will shape how our elected leaders and judges deal with the increasing monopolistic landscape we're seeing today. Debts. So there's a lot going on with debts. Obviously, the student loan debt debate, the um, credit cards reaching an all time high. And so I want to point people, if you are a debt holder to an organization that may be able to help you out, and they're called the Debt Collective. The Debt Collective is a dynamic debtors union with a mission to cancel debts and champion the rights of millions of households. Their vision encompasses a world where education is publicly funded, healthcare is universally acceptable, and housing is a guaranteed right for all. They were founded back in 2013, and the Debt Collective has evolved to become a powerful force for change, guided by the core values that they have that remain unwavering to this day. They use crowdfunding donations, and they've actually called this program Rolling Jubilee, which is a reference to the Old Testament Jubilee year where debt was abolished. And using this program, they've abolished more than $32 million of medical debt, student loan debt, payday loan, and prohibition and probation debt. <laughs> Sorry, not prohibition debt. That's something entirely different. <laughs> um, they collaborated with the New Economy Project to ensure that 120,000 judgment debts worth over $800 million were forfeited and retired as part of a legal case. And at its core, the Debt Collective recognizes that there is strength in numbers. They empower individuals burdened by debt to unite, transform individual financial struggles into collective power. Together, they challenge an exploitative system, proving that solidarity can indeed shift the balance of power. Check out the Debt Collective. And in addition, don't forget that the Mindful Marketplace here, we have partnered with local financial tech company Quility to provide all of our listeners with a free customized report on how to best eliminate personal and business debt. So get control of your debt today. Go to mindfulmarketplaceshow.com and click on the Eliminate Debt tab to get your free report. Lastly, I want to touch on investments uh, and a new kind of bank that's also up in the Northeast called Walden Mutual Bank. Um, you know, my, my introduction into the world of social enterprise and into business in general was around local food systems back when I was in nonprofits working for a healthy food access and urban farming nonprofit in Detroit. So I want to touch on this because the Walden Mutual Bank focuses on those food systems. Back in 2013, their founder, Charlie Cummings, embarked on a mission in Concord, New Hampshire. His goal? To build a sustainable local food system by connecting consumers with farmers, delivering everything from grass-fed beef to pasture-raised pork and chicken. But like many innovative ventures, Charlie ran into a classic problem, which was securing funding. You see, the Northeast was missing a crucial piece of the puzzle, a commercial bank that tailored to the unique needs of the food and agricultural sector. This gap affected not only Charlie's company, but also countless other small and mid-scale producers and participants in the food supply chain. So what did Charlie do? Well, he decided to take matters into his own hands and funded the Walden Mutual Bank in October of 2022 last year. Now, this isn't just any bank. It was the first mutual bank to open its doors since 1973, and it had a very specific focus. Walden Mutual was all about local food and agricultural lending serving the regions of New England and New York. But what's truly remarkable is how it attracted investors. The bank's mission wasn't just about financial returns. It was about making a positive impact in the community. Through some innovative funding, Walden Mutual managed to raise a whopping $25 million in special deposits for its startup capital. These deposits weren't insured by the FDIC, and they couldn't be sold like regular stock shares. Instead, they offered investors a modest return based on the bank's profitability over time. What's even more interesting is these investors were 
they 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 were the folks who deeply cared about you know environmental, social, and governance issued. Um, for them, Walden's mutual structure as a mutual bank aligned perfectly with their values. So in essence, Walden Mutual Bank wasn't just about closing a financial gap. It was about creating a bridge between investors and growing the world of local and sustainable food businesses. So awesome example for us to follow there around, like I said, not just solving a market problem, but really solving a social problem along the way, which leads us, you know, values-based investing is really going to be the topic of our conversation here today with my uh, with my guests that I'm very excited to get to talk to, uh, Max Mintz. Max, I'm going to invite you into the conversation here. Welcome, man. I'm glad to have you on. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Joel. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I, I know you're, you're not based here where a lot of our guests are in Western North Carolina. You are up in uh, New Jersey. Yes, Would you mind... Yeah. So tell us a little bit of kind of about your background and kind of where you where you come from and how you got to where you are today. Sure. Um, I'm not the guy you would have expected to become a financial advisor. Um, I've walked what I call uh, the zigzag path through life, uh, starting with a background in um, actually civil and mechanical engineering in high school. Uh, eventually, I end up getting a degree in uh, philosophy from Rutgers University. So um, it was no surprise when uh, my family's financial advisor, who specialized in sustainable investing, uh, introduced me to the field, and uh, I kind of got bitten by the bug. So uh, I joined the industry in about 2012, and here we are a little over 10 years later, and um, uh, my business partner just retired, So, uh, uh, and I purchased the firm from him. Wow. So tell me about the, the link between philosophy and you know values-based investing. I'm, I'm curious because I, I, I studied sociology and film in, in mm-hmm. college, but since then, I've been kind of an amateur <laughs> philosophy student. Like I, I, uh, I get recommendations from people who did study philosophy and then read those books and have little book clubs with them. Um, but yeah, I'm curious, is, is there a link for you personally between um, your own philosophy and doing values-based investing? Oh, absolutely. In fact, it's the primary reason I uh, got into this business at all. Uh, while I was in uh, school, I became influenced by a movement uh, that's been in the news recently called uh, effective altruism, which basically looks mm. at, um, and I'm, I'm no longer a, a sort of an adherent to that movement. I uh, had a number of disagreements with uh, sort of the direction in which it evolved. But at its core, when I was involved with it, uh, it asked the question, what's the most good we can do with the money we give away? Mm. And this was sort of, um, it was very motivating for me to look at, um, you know, our charitable dollars and how we spend them. But um, my first disagreement with the movement was to look at uh, the money we don't give away. And I saw an opportunity to unlock the power of our capital that we've saved for our own retirements, for our children's education, and to use that as a tool uh, to create change in the world. And that, so, that- yeah, well, I, I just wanted to say I, I I couldn't agree more with that. I feel like I went through a similar journey when I worked in nonprofits. It always felt like you know there was so much debate around how do we use this tiny little bit of money we had. It's like your job is to save the world, and you get a shoestring budget to do it. <laughs> and every year the need gets greater, and the resources to do it get smaller. And I remember feeling pretty disillusioned by that that conversation. Um, yeah, does that does that resonate with you where you were at as well? Oh, very much so. In fact, in the effective altruist community, uh, they make a um, a pledge to donate ten percent of their income to charity, and um, I looked at that and I was like, man, that's really cool. But what about the other ninety percent? Right? How can we activate the power of that to do something? And um, that's when I was introduced to the idea of shareholder activism. This idea that mm. when we own a share of stock, 
that we are an owner of that company and we have the right, and I say now the responsibility, to have a, a voice in how those companies are run. So by being active partners in the investment process, by participating um, in the processes that already exist uh, through shareholder meetings and direct engagement, we can use the power of the capital that we are uh, have allocated to our own financial plans to actually um, align with our extra financial goals. Yeah, it just kind of makes sense. Like, you know, I remember there's there's always been this um, idea in my mind. I grew up in a very small town in a very in a farming community, and I've always had this value that came from whether it was from my you know Protestant Christian upbringing, or whether it's through my nonprofit work, or whether it was through you know my connection to people like you in the values based business world, where it's always better to invest in the little guy. It's always better to spend your money locally to, you know, buy from the local coffee shop down the store because you know that they're more invested in your local community than a than a chain coffee shop is, for one mm-hmm. example, right? But it sounds like what you're saying is what if we take that a step further? And it's not just about as a consumer where you spend your money, because that can be tough. Like a lot of times, man, oh, it's yeah. it's it's tough to not just get something from Amazon or Walmart or whatever the store is because it's uh it's not as convenient, right? And so it sounds like what you're saying is, though, what if we take that a step further beyond just as a consumer buying things locally and buying things based on the kind of companies we want to support, but actually using our retirement savings and our investment dollars to do the same? I'd actually even take it up one step further, right? Because you're you're still we're still looking at sort of things in silos there. Um, for me, the real realization came when I discovered the concept of holistic financial planning and integrated this idea into that. Because what we really do is we build a financial plan. This is in many ways like life planning, thinking about where our clients want to go, what goals they have. And I believe that our you know, financial goals, our life goals, and our social and environmental goals all should have equal weightings or, you know, Uh, should have a weighting uh, in the financial planning process. So one of the things that I noticed was that especially younger folks, you know, tend to follow that same level of disillusionment you talked about earlier, right? People don't trust the system. They're not happy with their retirement plans. They're not um, inclined to contribute to them because they don't know what they're investing in. And one of the things that I really feel is important is sort of stripping away the layers of the onion being intentional about every step of that planning process, whether that's deciding uh, major life goals and decisions or deciding what investments are being put in place to support and hopefully lead to uh, a successful completion of those goals. Yeah, we, we've said before on this show, you know, your, your dollar is your vote. Mm-hmm. And where you spend your money and where you invest your money casts a vote for the type of future you want for your your own self and your own family, but also for the for the world around you. Is that what your firm common interest is all about? Yeah, it's about making sure that our clients have the confidence to stick to their plan so that whatever comes, whether the markets go up or go down as they did last year, uh, that um, our clients have the con- you know the, the confidence to stick to it. Because um, one thing that we've really found is that our clients' behavior is probably the most important factor uh, that 
is either going to support or detract from them achieving their goals. And staying on track through whatever the markets bring is really, really critically important. My hope is that by uh, helping people understand why they're invested, knowing intentionally what's going on and why the, port the companies in their portfolios um, are there, that they can have a deeper connection to their money. And it becomes more than just numbers on a page. You know, did we make money or lose money this month, this quarter? Mm -hmm. uh, but it's, you know, I, I want my clients to know that their portfolios are doing something more than just serving their own, uh, their own goals. Yeah. And your firm common interests is a certified B Corp. Um, could you elaborate a little bit on the significance of that certification and how it reflects your firm's commitment to social and environmental responsibility? Yes, absolutely. Um, common interest became a certified B Corp in 2014 because we knew we needed to go a step further. Um, I don't want to ask my clients to trust me. Um, I mean, they, they do trust me a lot. Um, you know, we have custody of their retirement assets and things like that. But when it comes to our sustainability footprint, uh, there's so much greenwashing out there that we wanted to find an independent certification that shows that we've put our money where our, our mouth is and that we've taken as intentional and deep a look at our own processes as we're asking our clients to do with their plans. Right? I believe that you should lead by example in these cases. Mm -hmm. So the B Corp movement looks at um, all the different ways that our business impacts people, planet, and profit, from how we treat our staff to our physical imp uh, impacts to the impact of our investments. And um, it does so across a number of metrics, uh, which we've actually used as the basis for our most recent impact report. So if you're looking to learn more about what each section of this means and how we've thought about it, um, you can go on commoninterests.com and you can click on the impact report button and you can download a copy which will uh, allow you to see sort of um, each section of the, uh, the B impact assessments framework and how we as a company have uh, attempted to increase our scores over time. We actually just recertified a, a few weeks ago as of this recording, so it's very exciting for us. I got to tell you that that type of transparency is uh, <laughs> it's a uh, it shouldn't be strangely reassuring coming from a financial professional, but but it is. I uh, you know I, I heard a joke recently that was like, "What's the difference between Wall Street and Vegas?" Well, Vegas is well regulated, <laughs> and so to, to so to hear just your level of transparency with your clients based on not only getting the returns that they need to be able to support their life and their environment and their their family's future but also their environment and that their values is, is really great. And obviously it's getting results. You know, you were recognized um, as a 40 under, you know, as a top, you know, 40 under 40 uh, uh, advisor by investment news. And that is a significant achievement. Do you think that this contributed to it? Was there anything outside of that? What, what do you believe is at the heart of that recognition? Yeah. So, um, and thank you for that. Um, I do think this was a big part of it. Uh, you know, there are, the industry is seeking new voices. And, um, you know, when we start to talk about uh, the way we think about sustainability, we talk about the differences between uh, the sort of buzzwords in the industry, uh, ESG, and what we do here, um, I think you'll start to see where this comes from. Um, I've really uh, been very lucky that uh, as an independent advisor, um, I'm able to speak my mind about sustainability issues, and I'm able to call out um, companies that aren't doing it right or, or that aren't doing it in a way that um, 
is what my clients are looking for, I think would be a better way to say that. So um, because of that, because of that independence and that freedom, uh, we've really been able to be a different voice in the industry. And um, we're able to help our clients decide which of this multitude of strategies are right for them. But in order to do that, we've had to really uh, parse what different investment strategies result in. Um, and we have some great stories from that, uh, even in the the last couple of weeks that I'm excited to go into. Yeah. And when it comes to being a different voice, I also want to commend you on that because that's not easy to do. There is comfort in the herd. You know, there is, mm. there is safety in the conformity and you listening to your own values and to actually thinking for yourself around this, I think should be applauded. And I think it should actually, I'm glad that you've been recognized in the way that you have. I'm curious on a, on a personal level, how do you, what is that struggle or that challenge been like for you? And how do you, you know, how do you work with it? Well, you know, it's, it's taken a long time, but when we, when I first joined the industry, my, my business partner had been involved in the sustainable investing movement for a long time. And it took a level of sort of intellectual curiosity uh, for us to um, go under the hood into the investments we're using and ask some really hard questions. Uh, it took a lot of soul searching and um, it ended up requiring us to build out new systems and new data sources so that we could actually understand um, not just what the financial industry wants us to look at, but how we can reconcile the data they're using with um, what our clients are actually looking for. So that's been um, probably one of the biggest efforts uh, for us over the last decade. That's great. I hope that, uh, I mean, I know your business has been growing and I, I think it's easy to see why. And, um, you know, um, we're going to come back in for a second part of this episode here. This is going to be a two-parter where we're really going to dig in in an article that you wrote about going beyond the buzzwords uh, when it comes to sustainable sustainability, environmental and governance investing. Um, and I'm really excited to get to dig in with you on that. Um, Max, where can people find you though? If this is the, if it, where, where can they find you here to connect with you? Well, the easiest place is uh, to check out our website, which is commoninterests.com and interest there is plural. Um, I'm also on sort of Facebook and LinkedIn, uh, although not on Twitter or X or whatever it's become, but um, <laughs> I can't keep up. <laughs> I can't either. Uh, but uh, really the best place to learn about us is uh, commoninterests.com, or you can just Google the the, um, the article that you were referencing, which is probably one of the things I'm most proud of recently. If you just Google Max Mintz, M-I-N-T-Z, e-money, um, you'll find a couple of articles I've written uh, on the e-money blog, uh, including the most recent one uh, on values-based investing, which is going beyond the ES buzzwords. Awesome. And you can listen to this episode as well as the future ones and the past ones. And also please check out the other hosts. Um, we just had on Veronica Edwards um, from Biz Radio US last couple of weeks, and she was phenomenal. Listen to her show, listen to all the other great shows on Biz Radio US. And don't forget that we are now on all of the different um, podcast platforms. So please subscribe there, but also leave us a review. Um, you know, a five-star review is the best way that you can help us continue to share messages and voices like Max's here. So uh, thank you all for your time here today. And don't forget, make sure you take care of yourself and take care of someone else. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you just heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and be sure to visit bizradio.us to find hundreds of other engaging conversations, local events, and more.